Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cult of Personality. I almost said Cop of Personality. That would have not worked. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, how many times? <laughs> how many times do you think we can uh, get away with opening the show this way? Can get away with it? <laughs> uh, get away with it. We can keep the fans. The fans demand perfection, and they also demand, you know, variety. Well, it's and just the I, beginning. You know how every YouTuber has like, yo, guys, what up? Welcome back. That's like ours. That That's our thing, just to kind of open it. Yo, 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 what up, YouTube? It's me. Hey. Or just this. Or if you're kind of more of an introverted, you just go, hey, guys. Hey, YouTube. What's up? It's me, you know, X guy coming at you with some Call of Duty gameplay here. Bye, uh, YouTube. See you later. See you later. <laughs> we'll, we'll find that clip eventually. It's gone. Uh, you know, they say on the internet nothing is truly gone, right? You know, so Doctor like Manhattan says. Doctor Manhattan said that too, and he's never wrong. So I'd like to think that in some, you know, we might have to raid like YouTube HQ, but we will find this lost. It's I'm not like I'm I'm not letting it become lost media. That's all I'll say. We need to conserve it and put it on Blu-ray. Y yes uh all <laughs> they should just make a huge jumbo pack multi-part series of all youtube videos and youtube box uh, set the youtube box set <laughs> and put on blu-ray we'll start with the videos uh a uh to a part one of 20 <laughs> 27 million and that'll that'll work out well i i wonder how much uh data takes up all the videos on youtube um i don't know um i mean they compress the videos to a degree right yeah. but i mean now they got now they got 4k videos on there a ridiculous amount it, it would just be impossible i i mean if I, i'm sure if i search if i look up how how long would it take to watch all the youtube videos it's probably a million billion trillion years <laughs> Or something like that. So, Four million three hundred eighty trillion worth. It, it's so big, I can't even pronounce it. I can't even say it. Okay, I have a question for you to start off the show. Okay. We're talking about Dread today. We're talking about the two Dread movies. The two kings. Uh, Sylvester Stallone Dread, which is 1995. And I already forgot his name, Bones, and the guy from The Boys. What's his name? Uh, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Yeah, the Carl Urban 2012 one. Um, have you read Dread Comics? I've read a few Dread Comics. Not a hell of a lot, though. I'm aware of the character uh, because he's pretty big, uh, especially more so in Britain than here in America. And it's funny that both adaptations that we're reviewing are american productions but in even in the comics the story is set in america uh so it, it kind of makes sense um like have you read the first appearance of dread i read the first appearance of dread a few years ago if you're curious as to what he's like in the comics mm -hmm. um you know he's pretty similar to the 2012 one and less so than the 95 one and we'll get into that but basically you know he's meant to just be a parody or a satire of just you know authoritarian law mm -hmm. um you know you could sort of call him like a riff on like uh the kind of uh, 
action hero in the mold of like a RoboCop, where it's you know one-liner driven, uh, strong devotion to the law, uh, cleaning up scumbags and dirt bags and and the like all across town. Uh, the comics that I've read are pretty good, and I know it's held in very high esteem. Um, and I think that these movies, <laughs> both of these movies have interesting takes on the character. Just kidding, only one of them does. But <laughs> uh, the comics are pretty decent. I'd probably, I'll probably end up actually, after having spent three plus hours here with Mr. Dread, I'll probably end up reading some more. I wanted to start with the 2012 one. If you want yeah. to start with the other one, that's fine. Which which do you prefer? Let's let's start with the twenty twelve because I mean that's the one that we both like better. Okay. Um, and you know what I mean, the ninety five one of course came first, but uh, you know chronologically it doesn't really matter. I think uh, it'll also be nice to have our early energy here expended on a good movie. So let's do it. Let's start with twenty twelve. So last episode, I said that I had little to no clue about Dread. I like I, the only thing I remember about it was seeing like ads for it on YouTube, and I I swear the trailer was like, uh, Mama in the tub, and she's like tripping out, and then it's like Dread scaling the building. I swear it was something like that, mm-hmm. but I never watched it until now. And man, oh man, I had a blast watching it. Apart from a few things, um, you know, they they had one of the cult sins, but that's fine. One of the cop sins. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. But it uh, it knocked my socks off. I like there were a few things running in the back of my head. Like, man, I hope they don't do this thing. I hope they don't do this thing and they didn't do it which was great like i i was like man i hope there isn't that scene where you know he takes off his helmet and he shows his like soft side and like you know he's not the action here you thought it was but no he is relentless he is to the letter and in his words he is law and man oh man oh man the whole time watching the movie without them even saying it like, oh, this is a bad idea, having one person as judge, jury, and executioner. I, you feel that. You know it's bad. And the whole movie is, like, pretty much satirical. And I kind of, like, thought about it, like, I compared it to RoboCop kind of in my head. But it, it really isn't. They're two different movies. Because RoboCop is, like, anti-corporation. This movie is very anti-authoritarian. And mm-hmm. anti the idea of basically speed running the legal process where a guy can just take you, citizen, you're going to the ISO cube for five years for littering. Which and and like it the it's a satire of the idea of uh, how the legal system is sometimes just a punitive thing rather than a rehabilitative thing. Mm-hmm. And the isocubes are just straight up punishment. Like if isocubes were real and you went to them for five years, uh, you would just <laughs> your life's over. Your life's done. You're you're not <laughs> like you are gonna be a husk of a person coming out of that thing. Like man, oh man. So let's talk about the premise of the movie. Yeah. Okay. So basically, this 
And I think if we're talking about Cult Appeal, this movie bombed, okay? Hard. Um, this movie bombed hard. I think the problem with this movie marketing-wise was, and I remember seeing marketing for it too, was that, though, first of all, it's a, it's a hard film to market because when you show clips of this film, it will look like a generic action movie yep. uh, with a guy in a silly helmet. Yeah. And, you know, in 2012, when Avengers was out and Dark Knight Rises was out and that kind of summer, it didn't really fare well. Not only for this kind of movie, but just kind of any mid-budget action movie like this. Uh, so honestly, in hindsight, it's not a big surprise. It is unfortunate, though, because sequels would have been cool. Um, but let's talk about the premise of the movie, for those who don't know. Basically, this takes place in a dystopian American future in which a nuclear war has, has scorched the earth. Um the large majority of citizens are clustered in these huge sprawling mega cities mm -hmm. that uh, encompass entire coastlines. Basically, in Mega City One, which happens to be on the East Coast, um, in that alone, there's 800 million people living here. Um, and as you can guess, uh, it's not a great place to be. Uh, it's like if Detroit and Gotham City had a baby. Uh, and then that baby had an affair with, you know, the world of uh, L.A. and Blade Runner. It's a really bad place to be. The intro of this film uh, sets it up great. Um, you find out that there's these people called judges. Mm -hmm. And they're judge, jury, and executioner. They're basically souped-up police officers um, that kind of expedite the whole law process because there's so much crime going on. And in fact, they say I think seventeen thousand uh, per day. Yeah. In uh, uh, so there's no time, you know, for <laughs> due process or any of that stupid bullshit. Uh, so they cut. So they, you know, they kill if they have to. They sentence them right on the spot. So we follow Dread. Um, in the intro, and I want to talk about the intro really quick, because I love this intro. Mm -hmm. This is a great introduction for the character. You get this opening narration from Carl Urban, who plays Dread, where he gives you the brief synopsis on what's going down in Mega City, and boom, right off the bat, we see, we launch right into the action. Dread is tearing down the highway on his souped-up uh, motorbike. Uh, great design on that, by the oh, way. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, and this is a kind of a scene we've seen many times before, which is, you know, a bunch of junkies loaded up in a trunk, barreling down the highway. They see a cop and they go, it's time. It's time to go. And they start shooting at him. Uh, it sets the tone very early because, number one, it's a great ground look at this mega city. Um, you see, you know, that it's basically, even though that it's even though it's supposed to be in the future, and they don't specify a date, although I think in the comics it's supposed to be like 2080 or something like that. But you see futuristic elements, but true to like more cyberpunk media, it's still really dingy mm -hmm. and dirty. Yeah. And it looks very much like now. And realistically, you know, that's what it would be like. Not everyone would be flying around in space cars. <laughs> uh, so we get this ground look. Uh, the perps murder an innocent. They just absolutely bl run over this dude and he goes flying off the windshield. Yeah. Dread. Control asks Dread, hey, do you need backup? He just says, no. no. And he zooms off and he goes after these guys. As soon as they hit the perp, you know, he flips the truck over with a well-placed bullet. Half, all of them are dead except for one guy who goes on a killing spree in a mall. And then we get a great confrontation where he has a hostage. And, you know, he has this hostage and he says, Dread, you know, 
uh, you better hold off or something bad's gonna happen. And Dredd is giving him his customary sentencing, you know, uh, attempted murder of a judge, you know, multiple homicides, you're going in the ISO queues for a long time. And he says, life you know, without parole. If he, life without parole in the ISO cubes, if you let her go. And he and and the cri- criminal is incredulous. He's like, this is your bargaining. You have no leverage. You're shit at this. Uh, and then Judge Dredd, you know, he hits him with a cool little uh, a little one liner. And he says, you sure about that hot shot? And he says, what? And he says, hot shot. Boom. Intro for the gun. He shoots the gun. It sends this incendiary bullet into his mouth, blows his head up into fire. Great scene. Great opening. This is the kind of opening scene that sets the tone for an action movie, and I loved it. I loved it the first time I saw it, and I loved it on subsequent viewings. Now, the rest of the movie, and I'll just finish off the plot, and then we can digress a little more, has a judge pick up this new recruit uh, named Judge Anderson, who basically failed her aptitude test to become a judge, but she is a powerful psychic. Can I uh, there are... jump in for one second? A... Yeah, go ahead. One thing that I love, too, is that she's an orphan. Not... That's not the part that I love. I didn't love that she was an orphan. <laughs> I love that part. I love that she was an orphan. Oh, my God. Um, I, I love that the police chief that uh, Dredd is talking to about her says something like, um, she's like, oh, it, as, what did she say? She's like, it's it's customary for us to uh, give aptitude tests to seven-year-old orphans to be a judge, <laughs> and she failed hers. And I was like, oh my god, that's great. Uh, great commentary there. Same thing with like army recruiters that go after failing uh, high school students. Uh, that was hilarious. That's some Jedi Order shit right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this new recruit is taken out on a field day with Tread, and they're on their bikes and they have to pick a crime. There's a million of them happening all the time. Dredd even says that of all the judges in the city, they can only respond to 6% of crimes every day. So they pick one at random, which happens to be a trio of murders in peach trees. And that's where we set things up. They head to peach trees, things get locked down. They find a little bit of a conspiracy going on and they have to fight for survival against a, the mama clan uh, led by this ruthless gang leader named mama. And that's basically the gist of the story. Yeah, and Peachtree is, is basically a city apartment. Yeah, it's cool. And, you know, they have... It's basically, I think they said some 80,000 citizens in basically this giant apartment complex. Yeah. Um, I was reading a little bit about the film, and the director really liked the idea that you could just have this sort of building. And I think this is ripped straight from the comics, but you can just have these buildings where people live, are born, live, and die. Because there's med- medical facilities, movie theaters, shops, everything in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean... Not to, that's honestly we're pretty, we're not too far away from that really. I mean, the way that uh, it's it's kind of prophetic in the sense that we are really close to having these sort of live-in facilities, given that populations are rising, especially in these East Coast uh, urban centers. But the movie, let's talk a little bit about the movie itself. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot, and there's a lot to enjoy about this. The thing to note is that this is an action film. Okay, I would say primarily it's an action film, but it doesn't skimp per se on social satire. Mm-hmm. It's a funny film. Yep. It's it's subtle when it needs to be and outlandish and over the top, and it's all done masterfully, in a de- with a deft hand. And I really like this movie for that reason. I want to start with the designs, sort of the 
effects and such like that. And I think this is where we can talk about your one problem, which I also do not like. Okay. Uh, number number one, I like the uh, design of the judges. They're really so sleek and tasteful. elegant. So tasteful. They're 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 so tasteful. You know, in the comics. It's comical. He's got, like, these huge... Okay, the thing with Dread in the comics is that, like, he's this huge hulking figure. He's got, like, these... I don't even know what you call it. These sort of accoutrements that generals have. Like, these big shoulder pad mm-hmm. things. He's got those on. He's got, like, a big X helmet on him. Um, they they really reduced that because they wanted this to be taken a little more seriously. Basically, they streamlined everything into this armor, and you still get a great uh, sort of comic booky helmet. But it looks practical, and it doesn't look silly at all, which is hard to believe. Like if you had told me before seeing this movie that they would have be able to streamline dread like that, it would have been hard to believe. I think this is kind of takes a page from the Marvel stuff in the sense that they take this comic book stuff that. You know, when translated directly to screen, frankly, will not work because it's, you know, silly. And they make it plausible. Okay, so the costume design in this is pretty good. For the the dreads, everyone else, for the most part, is just wearing street clothes because we just have various civilians and gangsters. There's some good makeup work here, too. Um, The main villain in this is played by Lena Headey. She is Mama. Uh, That is short for Madeline Madrigal. She's a former prostitute turned gang leader with a big sadistic streak. Uh, she has these scars on her face that are that look really well done, and she's got good makeup work and such like that. Uh, there's also a bunch of gang members peppered throughout the film with various face tattoos and stuff like that that all look very authentic. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Effects-wise, I think this is a pretty decent movie. There's, I guess, a big highlight and then a big low light. Okay, let's talk about the low light because we might as well get out of the way. It's the squibs. Yep. Okay, the squibs are bad. And why are they bad, Lucas? Tell me why. They, uh, it's it's 2012 CGI for a $40 million movie. Doesn't look good. And digital squibs. does not look good, the digital squibs, when it's in slow motion. Because we forgot one crucial thing, is that Mama is pushing this new drug called slow-mo. And basically what it does, I don't know if it, makes you feel euphoric i'm sure it does but the main thing is that it slows down your perception of time Mm -hmm. which at first i thought didn't make sense but then i thought about some more and it does Mm -hmm. there's a scene where these teenagers go to this little drug den to try it out and then dread comes in and shoots them all up and it looks so bad like i mean the digital squibs already look bad because they're it's it it's really hard to make liquid because there's so many little little strands and balls of it that'll separate and then those all have their unique lighting it's really hard to do it's i i get it mm-hmm. um here's a solution do practical squibs who killed captain alex could do it with the 200 dollar budget they may have had to use cow blood and they some people may have gone sick but you know what? That's what you gotta do in show business, baby. You gotta do practical squibs. But they the digital squibs. Oh, go sorry, ahead, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. The digital squibs are being are a minus to me. Um, they really, honestly, are like relatively inoffensive during high paced action mm-hmm. scene, and I think the director is sort of aware of this kind of problem. So for the most part, during normal paced action scenes and such uh it's all done fine 
Uh, there's even some decent like uh like gore work when uh later on in the film a gangster get his arm gets his arm blown off and it looks okay. But you're right, the digital squibs look bad, especially in the slow-mo sequence that's early in the film. Now, uh, on the other hand, that's one big plus for me are these slow-mo sequences, yeah. which I think are extremely inspired. Those are number great. one. So yeah, so basically these people take the slow-mo drug and you know, time will progress at 1% of its rate, uh, perception-wise. Um, the c- post-production and the color processing during these scenes are great. They don't just slow things down like a stupid you know, Michael Bay movie or whatever, or a Zack Snyder movie, God forbid. Um, they really play up the idea of this being a hallucinogenic drug. There's this sort of rainbow sheen on everything. Everything's almost in double vision. Um, and I think a lot of the on the eyes and stuff. The sparkles, it's all great. Uh, it's very inspired stuff. It's it's an interesting choice because it factors into the story, but it also lends itself to just some cool scenes, like like the breach scene, or when they hit somebody with slow mo and then throw them off a building, which happens a few times in this movie. But it's really interesting stuff visually, uh, not just from the effects wise, but compositionally, I think they do a big job. Uh, just like that first shot when those two teenagers go into the drug den and they hit the slow-mo and then his eyes roll back into his head and then everything just stops. It's it's a great scene. Uh, there's like this sort of like wind chime music that goes throughout uh, while you're watching this. I wasn't uh, kidding. Really I makes... thought it was an Animal Collective song at first. <laughs> It's like this weird ambient stuff that goes on, uh, but it looks it all looks pretty good uh, for the most part, and I think that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, one thing that I love also talking about the effects is that lots of gore, they didn't pull back any punches, and when it wasn't digital squibs, they had like good, good, good fake blood, number one. It had that perfect like 80s bright red color. Mm-hmm. They didn't go for like that more realistic look to it i love that and there was like there's a couple scenes where they go crazy with the gore like they skin these guys and toss them off a building and then you see their like skin bodies slap on the ground at the end you see one of the characters face split in half as it hits the ground uh, lots mm-hmm. of lots of crazy stuff like that i mean the hot and shot if- shot when he shoots him with that thing you see his head <laughs> light up and his head deflates and stuff it's crazy mm-hmm you know what? And it's funny because uh, seemingly in homage to Ebert, who was nearing the end of his life, critics actually criticized this film for having too much violence. Uh, because, you know, and I mean, you know, it's corrupting our youth. Let's let's just be honest. It's it's ruining things. But I think the, the, the violence in this film plays, you can justify it two ways. Number one, I mean, like, it's tasteful violence for the most part. I mean, it's a violent film. Don't take your kids to see this for sure. But, you know, number one, it feels like an homage to 80s films, and it's specifically 80s action films. Even the premise for this, with the sort of RoboCop-esque character, all the one-liners, and the sort of die-hard kind of premise that you have where they take where it takes place all in one building, um, I, it to me is like sort of an homage to that. And I mean, this is at a time when we didn't, we, and we still aren't really getting those kind of films anymore that are heavy on violence, uh, focused primarily on gun action i know specifically john wick which came out two years after that was praised heavily for that uh but i think this one is something this film is is one that should also be praised uh for not quite it's relishing of violence but it's it's sort of appreciation 
of the art in a sense. I mean, uh, like I think it it has to have like it has to have gruesome violence it, that adds to the satirical factor of it. Like if Judge Dredd is just shooting little darts at you that peacefully put you to sleep, that that's not that satirical. This guy has a hot shot gun that incinerates your head without any consequence. That's like that's satirical then. Mm-hmm, that's how exactly. I see it. And so I don't the the violence thing it doesn't bother me. I can't honestly besides the Cannibal Holocaust I can't think of any violence that I was like maybe this is a little excessive. And Cannibal Holocaust you know that was that was specifically because some of that was real, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so the effects and and that sort of stuff uh, is all well done. Now we talked about the ambient score in the slow mo scenes. I really enjoyed the soundtrack for this film. Uh, it's sort of a synth rock kind of score. Mm-hmm. Um, they leaned into the kind of 80 synth, and that's part of the another reason I think it's sort of an homage to those kind of films. Um, but it just, it's, it's really well done. Uh, it just, it, it really follows the pulse pounding action. It's a great accompaniment. Um, it's, it's quiet when it needs to be, but it ramps up uh, when, you know, the action picks up. But it still leaves the characters room to breathe and have dialogue and exchanges and such and focus on the more plot driven stuff. It's a really well done score. And I'm glad they didn't just go the traditional orchestral route because that doesn't work for this kind of movie. Okay, you can't just have like you can't have like triumphant horn music while Dread is like caving people's throats and you know, it just doesn't work. Like another movie we'll talk about. Oh, which, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm honestly, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm struggling right now not to compare it to the other movie. You know, if you need to throw it in, go ahead, because we're going to talk about it anyway. So if you want to throw in some comparisons, that's fine, or just wait to compare later. I, I really don't care. Okay, uh, but, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I, what I was going to say is that one thing, uh, another ding almost is... I was watching this on Netflix, and I know Netflix compresses videos because it's streaming. I'm not getting my true blacks. One thing I can notice while watching on Netflix is that in some scenarios, like when he's on his bike in particular, hella motion blur. Motion blur. Motion yeah. blur, and, and then that just takes me out and said, okay, it's green screened because they have to motion blur that shit, so it kind of makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I know I'm I I really want to pick up this movie. I definitely want to add it to the collection because this is like to me this is like people talk about the Dark Knight like oh this is how you adapt a comic book movie. So is this? This is how you do it. Like this is yeah. done very well. I want to get a copy, and I know if I get a Blu-ray, thank you Sony 1080p copy of this movie, it, I'm gonna notice that even more. So dreading that, dreading. <laughs> that but uh <laughs> he said it <laughs> well, you son of a bitch um uh, but uh, i just want to try me with the costumes they look so great like it's this hard leather dread ha- like it's how you do a future movie you set it in today's date and then you just tweak it a little if you go too far with the costuming then people are just gonna they're going to be taken out of the movie. You still have to keep it with today with a little, little change. And Dread, he has that hard leather. He has this thing on his arm, this little screen. And they do a close-up on it, and it looks really dingy. 
Like you can just see the mm-hmm. stitching in the leather, uh, this little smudges on on his little arm piece. He has this like again futuristic but still uh, feasible bulletproof vest thing, and then his his goofy um, shoulder pads are just replaced with these tasteful little. Uh, bulges i guess bulges of leather or whatever um mm-hmm. and at, at first his helmet i'm like oh this is kind of stupid but as a movie go- went on i just it just numbed me it wasn't so dumb that uh, the whole movie was like man that's so dumb that's so dumb just at first i'm like that's a little goofy and then by the end of the movie i'm like that yeah it works it's cool and the movie is like they have stuff like that, and also the way that they shoot things, like how a, uh, I've seen a shot, it, it looks very comic book-esque. And one thing I just have to talk about, because it's it's in my head now, Carl Urban's performance in this movie is so banging. Oh my god. He's doing this like comical scowl the entire movie. His delivery is just on point every time. Like it's comic book and yet realistic all at the same time. That's what you want. Like a Marvel movie, like a Captain America to me, it's, it's so realistic. It's completely devoid. It's completely like removed from the comics. Mm -hmm. This is still comic movie because they are two very different mediums come together in a nice little mashed potato. The the performances and there's some good performances here, particularly of course Urban. He's great. Um, he never takes his helmet off in this, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God. And the director even said, you know, like why would he take his helmet off? Like in real life, you don't have that triumphant moment where you reveal yourself or some <laughs> dumb shit like that. Like you know, you keep your helmet on because he has a job to do. Yeah. Um, which is a huge criticism in like every, almost every comic book movie is that because the actors need some face time, they got to take their mask off or their helmet off as much as possible yeah. which honestly is a huge piss off like just keep it on i don't want to see you um urban is great he plays like this stoic parody of an action hero where he's all one-liners he's talking in this gruff voice he's got this five o'clock shadow a scowl and just this jetted out chin at all times um and they kind of make it so that in this film, he doesn't per se have like some huge relevatory character moment. And some might see that as a detriment. Some might see that as a stagnant character. But the director even said, uh, the director being, uh, sorry, Pete Travis, um, that he felt that in staying true to the comics and that because of Judge Dredd, while he does have some development throughout this film, of course, and it's subtle, and it's done in a way that does not feel forced or sentimental or saccharine or anything like that. But he's relatively stable, and what he does is that he gives most of that development or that traditional character arc to his rookie, mm-hmm. and that's an e- and that's um and that's something that's done in the comics. Some of the comics that I've read is that you know when you have a character like this that's very static you tend to have somebody that is sort of the ride-along, somebody that the audience can self-insert to. And that's where we get Judge Anderson, played by Olivia Thirlby. She's this rookie, of course, and she's new on the job. She doesn't wear her helmet at any point throughout the film, except for, like, two, like, literally 20 seconds in the beginning of the movie. 
because, as she says, it affects her psychic abilities. Um, but she has a more character, traditional character. Rush. She's initially she starts the movie. She's very nervous. Um, you know, she's hesitant to shoot and execute and stuff like that. Given that this is her first time at real combat, but of course, by the end of the film, she becomes uh, confident, stronger, and you know, a little more bloodthirsty than she was in the beginning. Um, and I think that works well. Olivia Thirlby does a pretty good job as Judd Anderson. At times, I thought her character was like a little bit flat, but she does do a pretty good time, uh, pretty good job at portraying the kind of uh, rough around the edges, uh, like sort of rookie character mold. Uh, she also does a pretty good job at portraying fears and anxiety as somebody who, in contrast to Dread, is not so self-assured or like you know powerful or confident. Uh, so she does a pretty good job as well. Uh, I th we mentioned earlier that, but that this is a small cast. The only other like two, or th I would say there's three more major characters in this film, and then the rest are really side pieces that are not worth talking about. You get Lena Headey as Madeline Madrigal, Mama. I think she does a great job. Yep. Now, this is a w woman of very little words, okay? The story here is that she was a former prostitute. Her pimp was beating her up. So she castrated him with her teeth, killed him, and then took over his empire. And she's got the scars to prove it. She has this glassy-eyed look throughout the whole film. Like, she has completely lost all sense of humanity. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's so soft-spoken to the point where she seems hesitant to talk at all or reluctant to. Uh, sometimes when she begins a sentence, the initial words just come out very squeaky. It's... It's incredibly uh, subtle performance, okay, in, you know, a kind of movie where you could have had a big over-the-top bombastic villain. But they just have this uh, nondescript, very small-looking woman, uh, and she's very, very convincing as a sadistic and powerful figure. Uh, I really like her performance in this. Lena Headey, I think most people will know from Game of Thrones uh, as Cersei Lannister. I haven't seen too much Game of Thrones, but she does a really good job in this, and I was really impressed. Yeah, like, just how she carries her body, how she kind of moves around, and how she just, her resting faces, it's it's so calm and confident, and, like, every time she's on screen, it's like, oh, please don't kill this person. Like, there's this little dweeby guy... <laughs> who runs kind of the security cams. Mm -hmm. Just as one guy, seemingly. Uh, we see earlier on in a flashback that she um, squished his eyeballs in with uh, her thumbs and replaced his mm -hmm. eyes with, like, robotic eyes. Um, and mm -hmm. he keeps on having to talk people out of coming down, and she's just, like, hunching over his shoulder... And I'm just like, oh, Lord, don't kill this guy doing his job. Um, like, she's she's scary. Yeah, she does a good job. Fun fact, that is General Hux. Oh, shit, you're right. It's it's uh, Domhnall Gleeson. I actually didn't recognize him at first when I went back, like, when I watched this film first. Um, uh, I saw that it was... he. Like, the makeup work in this is pretty good. Uh, his eyes are gone. Or at least he has replacement eyes with huge pupils because they're robotic. 
basically his job is uh <laughs> if we're comparing it to the 95 movie this is the only comparison i'll make until later uh he's the rob schneider of this movie uh <laughs> basically yeah he just plays like the scared guy he's an accomplice to mama but only because she coerces him in uh he's like the smallest of like the principal roles but even he does a good job selling it uh as like this as basically the human equivalent of a naked mole rat who's just so scared and timid and nervous all the time <laughs> Um, then the last like major role is like uh, Wood Harris plays this gangster named Kay, who's basically Mama's like secondhand man. He's okay actually. Um, he's in The Wire. If you've seen The Wire, uh, as just a gang guy, a kingpin. I haven't seen The Wire. Uh, he's he 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 does an okay job. I mean, he's not, he's nothing to write home about, but he has some funny scenes and a couple of funny lines. The one thing that I had a problem with, and this is maybe a nitpick, but. He does not come off as, like, uh, an absolutely sadistic gangster who could skin people, you know? Like, he comes off as, like, the local dope slinger on the corner. Yeah. You know? Maybe that's just me, but that was, like, my only small qualm performance-wise, really, um, with this particular character. But he's okay. He doesn't, uh, he's not in a ton of scenes, and in a lot of them, he's not saying anything. Yeah, he's kind of just... His character is just kind of the, what's the best way of putting it? There's so many movies that have characters like him where he's kind of like Smeagol in Lord of the Rings, where he's like the mm-hmm. tag along and you're like, please just get rid of this character. And even... <laughs> you don't like Smeagol? <laughs> no, like I like Smeagol, but get rid of him as in like he's holding you guys back and it'll probably be oh, bad yeah. news. And I think even Anderson says that. She's like, he's, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's liability. A, he's a liability. Like we should just get rid of him. And he's like, that's yeah, he did whatever. He says some law bullshit. So they keep <laughs> him around. And of course it turns out for the worst, but then he, he guesses come up. And one thing I want to also highlight is the psychic scenes in this movie are done really well. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, always wanted from like a charles xavier is that scarier aspect that they could just mind fuck you and Mm -hmm. there's this great scene where she's like hey she's in his mind uh what's what's a k's k's mind and she's like you Mm -hmm. can do whatever you want and he like takes out his gun and shoots her she's like it's not gonna do anything uh and then she like turns it into a nightmare and that's like someone with psychic powers could go into your head, make you live a lifetime, and then come out and be like, eh, that was just a dream. Sorry. <laughs> like, they, they they could just send you to the ISO cubes for, <laughs> for life in your brain. Um, so it was cool getting to see, like, that scarier side of psychic powers. That, that was interesting. And then we just see him after she uh, mindfucks him and he's peeing his pants. <laughs> little piss baby yeah that was good stuff and you know when she when they don't want to have to have a scene where they delve into somebody's mind and have visuals they just have a sort of little fuzz that happens uh all along the screen like sort of a distortion and it works well it's just a quick way of showing um that she's reading somebody's mind in some way mm-hmm. in like a sort of brief manner and that's good too uh, that's another good special effect that we didn't name to me yeah it's just the squibs man that they just ah uh, digital squibs like they're gonna get to the honestly like let's be real they're gonna get to the point where they're like pretty good i don't think that's gonna be like anytime really soon though and like to the Ten point years. where we can have 
like where we can have like an explicit like full-on shot of a digital squib and i can not tell the difference between a real squib it'll be a bit and especially not in, in a smaller budget movie like this it'll be in some warner brothers picture 10 years from now where i'll be like damn maybe we don't need physical squibs but in the meantime do it do it even judge dread 95 had physical squibs okay even that had physical squibs even when we get to that point like i'm sure when this movie came out people people were like oh man those squibs look so good it'll it'll always just be like god i hope not <laughs> it'll be cool effects and then 10 years down the line we'll be like man that looks bad like thanos in 10 years we're gonna look back on that and be like oh fuck okay yeah, his head's kind you know of what? floating <laughs> i was i was i was watching a couple of like h high quality like not quite 4k because i don't have any 4k screens but of like avenger endgames clip with thanos because i was kind of thinking like i want to take a look at the cgi and he still looks pretty good but like the thing with a character like thanos is that like you already know that he's cgi so like it's gonna be it it's too easy for it to become like a aged you know what i mean mm -hmm. like like in comparison to cgi that's more subtle in the sense that it's like you know i mean the other example would be like when they de-age somebody but that is still shit right now okay terrible even even disney with all the money with god's bank account password <laughs> in their hand they can't do it to save their life they can't do it actually you know what they did it okay in captain marvel but that's because sam jackson looks the same so yeah that's the that's the caveat there um one other thing about judge judd's character not so acting but more so writing is that he's also really smart like he is mm -hmm. he's very calculated there's a scene where these two little kids come up with their guns for mommy and they're like we're gonna we're gonna kill you drop your gun and then he's like your safety's not even on your safety's on and the kids look at his gun and then he brings his up in a second like he he knows when to to play the the perp he had yeah like he's competent he has assistance from judge anderson she saves his bacon a couple of times typical action movie faction and you know he's not he's not f he's fallible to a believable extent but he does just come off as an extremely competent man with you know the gadgets and stuff to help him but you kind of really believe that he's just a really a really good at his job you know when he comes up and we didn't even mention this that you know, at one point, uh, towards the start of the third act of the film, I suppose, Mama's getting desperate because, as you can guess, Judge Dredd is just mowing down her goons. She fires, like, 400 million minigun rounds and absolutely devastates and kills, like, an entire ground floor of peach trees, and he still escapes. He just comes out of the dust in a great shot, <laughs> throws a guy off the building, and then walks back into the dust. And in probably the most expressive moment from Lena Headey in this movie... She doesn't give a dramatic scream or she doesn't slam her fist, but she just looks at him and you can just see the anger and the sort of fear in her eyes. And yeah. she knows like this guy is not going to be easy to take down. So her next thing, she says, let's call 911. Good little <laughs> line, by the way. And they call on four judges. There's two judges that um, arrived initially to uh, attend to a dis distress call made by Dredd and Anderson. They're dismissed for these new four judges. You find out they're corrupt. Mama said, I'm going to give you a million credits. Go kill these other guys. Yeah. Uh, and in, in another subtle way to show that there's corruption rampant in Mega City 1. 
Um, and Dredd just mercs them. He doesn't merc them in like an unbelievable way where he's doing some stupid Batman shit and like beating them all up. He gets he almost gets killed by the last one, but he takes them all realistically and he's smart about it. It's a one line giveaway that alerts him to the fact that these judges are corrupt. And he takes one down because of that and because of his combat prowess. And then the other two he's able to dig down uh, just with some strategic planning and some some good uh, gun work. What was the line and again? And it's all very believable. For for how he found out. Yeah. Um, he was like, so the other judge, Judge Volt is this corrupt judge. He comes in and he's like, hey, man, you know, we're here. And Judge says, oh, thank God. Good to see you. Where's the other guys? And he's like, you know, they're on their way. So just relax. Calvary's coming. And then Judge goes, well, that's weird. You didn't ask about the other judge that called it in that you have no idea where she is. Um, there were two judges that called this in. Uh, and then he goes, shit, he found us out. And then that's how he finds out. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a good scene. And then you have Judge Anderson in the obligatory uh, female character takes on other female character scene. Yeah. Which even this movie can't escape that sin. Uh, this other judge comes up and she's like, hey, put your gun down, rookie. And, you know, Judge Anderson has psychic abilities, so she reads her mind quick and then shoots her down. That was great. I, I love that. That was, a, that was a good scene, yeah. And, and that, and I wanted to, I was just about to bring up the corrupt judges before you did, actually. Um, they, they're like such a good part of the movie because what happens when you have the complete package of police officer judge during executioner you're gonna have corruption you have corruption now with just the amount of layers that we have if you had just mm -hmm. one person filling all those roles it would be shit it would be so bad and like <laughs> i wish that they had maybe a bit more of that in the movie um mm -hmm. but we still had that one example or four examples i guess um so I was happy with that, but yeah, it would be that. That's one of the big points against this idea. Like some mm -hmm. people might see this and think, "Oh, it's a great idea." Um, it's not. It's really terrible because people make mistakes, and then someone gets sent to the ISO cubes for life over a mistake. Not good. Um, so that that I love that. I love that they included that. And that gives, and that brings us to like uh one a couple of final points here that I want to talk about. Number one is that the the social satire and the sort of world building that they do is subtle. They focus on the action. And what happened was that Pete Travis figured that rather have than have some kind of convoluted plot where they have to really layer on like the themes and such like that, yeah. they would rather center it around this sort of action premise and then have little tidbits here and there for the audience to clue in. There's good little moments. In the initial scene when Judge takes down the criminal, the mall has a PA announcement that says the mall will reopen in 30 minutes. Yep. And they just have a random janitor come in, clean up this guy's blood in a great shot when whatever that wax machine is that they drive just starts mopping up all the blood from this dead body on the ground. And that just goes to show that violence is an everyday part of Mega, Mega City 1. You have the corrupt judges to show that, yeah, um, no one man should have all that power. Uh, if I can quote Jay-Z over here. Uh, and they do a lot of small stuff like that. M one thing, and I think critics were harsh on this, and like maybe I would have liked a little bit more, but this maybe would have been something to expand on a sequel, would have been like a little bit more. I think the world of Mega City 1 and this idea of tackling, especially with this kind of creative team that really handled this deftly, 
to have like a little bit more in the way of social satire and critique of authoritarianism and such like that, I think it would have been a little bit more welcome. But I, I understand and I respect and I accept the decision to have it more as background clues and things to sort of deduce and sort of observe passively rather than have it in your face. I want to talk about two more things quickly and then I want to move on to the okay. next movie because we kind of went over time there. But that's okay. We did, yeah. We can we can go as long as we want. Um, at the end of the movie, the good guys win. Mama gets thrown off the building and Judge Dredd gives her a little bit of slow-mo, gives her a slow-mo hit, tosses her off and then you see her face splat in a really good shot. He passes Anderson at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, do you think Anderson wanted to be passed? Well, you, so towards the end of the film, what happens is... Um, and this is an interesting point. Because, you know, towards the end of the film, Anderson actually lets uh, Dom Gleason's characters go. He's unnamed in the film. He's just Hacker Man. And the judge says, you know... And this is like a, a big character moment. I think this is a great point like in terms of the development arc for both Anderson and Dredd. Dredd says, not uh, letting a felon go like that is not only a fail, it's a crime. So what are you doing? And she says, I already know I'm not going to be a judge. I already failed because I lost my primary rep and I'm going to do what's right. And I'm going to let this non-perp, this is the victim, go. Let's go finish this job and we'll be done. Now, the train of thought here is that, and after uh, she, she leaves, uh, I don't think she's okay. It's hard to say because you know, comic wise, she's a judge, and this is kind of her rite of passage. The point I think that's being made here is that she's kind of become hardened by her experience. Maybe she's not necessarily a fan of all the violence that takes place on a daily basis, but she's still a good person wanting to do right. So, if, does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I was just curious what you thought. I think she doesn't want to be a judge. I don't think she wants to be one either, but I think that it, I think what happens after that, when, the fact that Dread passes her, that's also a great character moment because Dread kind of loosens his, you know, idea of devotion to the law because, you know, the, the big thing with Dread is that he follows the law to the letter. You know, he sees a homeless guy and he's like, if you're not, if you're here when we get back, you're going to the ISO cube just for sitting there. Uh, funny note, his sign says homeless junkie will debase self for credits. That's hilarious. <laughs> but that's, that's such a great, in one line, they're able, and that's like the last line of the film, to just have Dredd's character arc kind of finish in a satisfactory way. Do I think, like, if I had to speculate, would she come back? I think she would in some capacity, maybe not as a street judge, because, um, I don't know, she's just a person who wants to do right, and in a city like this, it looks like that's the only way. But, uh, yeah. Well, my thought process was she's a psychic. She can see someone's whole life, so she's mm-hmm. will be infinitely more compassionate than the judges who just see man doing crime isocube time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that, and that's why it's great to have Anderson paired with Dredd is that she kind of shows him that, you know, Hey man, like just chill out a little bit. (laughs) Like, you know, like this guy doesn't need to go to the ISO cubes for being threatened under gunpoint from helping a criminal, you know? 
I really like the ending of the film. It doesn't go for anything like major or flashy. It just has that kind of character moment ending for the both of them. And then we get like a pan of the city before it cuts to like a big title card and then some cool music at the end for the credits. ACDC plays. Some ACDC. It's not ACDC. It's just it's just the score. There's no licensed tracks in this, which is great. Although in a, in this is probably the most one of the most interesting pieces of trivia I've seen for all of our movies. And you would have never guessed this, but the music was for, for the slow mo theme, which he said was Animal Collective music. That was inspired by a Justin Bieber song. Okay, <laughs> what happened was Portishead, which is this sort of indie band, one of the instrumentalists, sent um, Alex Garland, who does the sto- uh, the script, uh, the sorry, the score for this. He sent him a Justin Bieber song that had been slowed down 800 times. Oh. And it was like, and so like, obviously it was unrecognizable, but it was part of the inspiration for the music. He heard that and it was like this trippy orchestral music. He used that as a placeholder placeholder while he was doing his own score. So that was the most interesting piece I found here. Uh, But yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next movie. Let's try to keep it to, let's say, half an hour. Okay, let's keep it the half an hour. This movie, there's not going to be that much. I mean, like, we'll talk about it, but it's... it's let, Okay, let's get out of the race. Shit movie. Shit movie. Okay, it's a shit, shit movie. Okay, let's get right into it. <laughs> so this one differs from the others, okay? So this still follows Judge Dredd. And, you know, it's, you know, kind of the same idea. Mega City, there's a lot of crime. He's got to do something. In this movie... What happens is that Dread, your Judge Dread, it's basically a, a big frame plot. Um, J- Judge Dread's doing the job. His Anderson in this movie is um, Judge Hershey, played by Diane Lane, who's one of the saving graces of this movie, honestly. Yeah. And and absolutely in a in a movie filled with shit performances, um, he gets he gets framed in the murder of a reporter. And he unravels this conspiracy that has to do with this half-brother he has named Rico, who is basically, like, a genetically altered or genetically grown judge that is, like, psychopathic. And what's his goal? I I don't know. Just to kill people or just to make an army of clones. It's so generic. This movie foregoes any of the nuance, any of the subtlety, any of the quality of the 2012 movie. It's really bad. What I want to hear what you have to hear to say about it. So shit. I mean, it's like there's no class. It's it has so Mega City One when they fly through it, it it has the same view. This stylized poverty that like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie has or the Mario Bros movie had. I swear they're on the same. That's what I thought. That's what I thought exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about that. Continue. It, where it's just like dudes with mohawks burning <laughs> um, a car. And it's like, po- this isn't what poverty is like. It's way more depressed <laughs> than this. It isn't punk rockers stealing donuts from a 7-Eleven. Okay. It's it's people living in one giant building that's full of litter and tra- like and spray paint. And they're going to die there. It's not flying cars through... Um, Blade Runner 77 or whatever it was um, <laughs> <laughs> neon signs like it, it it's so crap um, Sylvester Stallone this sucks 
<laughs> oh my god. The costumes oh my god. are shit. Their motorcycles are these big clunky pieces of crap. Um Rob Schneider's in this movie who I hate. He's the like every time there's somewhat of a serious moment, he just has to be like, um, an English doc. <laughs> oh god. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm gonna get what I like about this movie out of the way quick. Sure. Okay. This is this is what I'll say. Okay, effects wise and set design wise, it's actually not that bad. Okay, there's actually some decent practical work here. They have like a robot uh, that looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the design you know, they, sucks, but I like the the stomp. It's, but but yeah, like the the quality itself of the effects are pretty decent. Mm-hmm. The set, you know, some of the sets are are not too bad. Like you get mostly this industrial. Uh, city kind of deal and you're right i don't know what it is and i was thinking about this it's like super mario brothers it's like this kind of like cyberpunk like steampunk like 90s punk music video hybrid aesthetic super mario brothers came to mind it's it almost feels like a crappy corruption of like the burton batman set designs where they were going for this gothic approach that was kind of twisted and and it was kind of felt like a labyrinth but in this it looks like it looks like quality wise it's fine but mega city one in this it's they make it like it looks like the fifth element city by the way i don't know if you noticed that yeah um they have flying cars everywhere why okay (laughs) They have like when people just fly out of the city, or fly yeah, like into the city, like okay. They even say like the judges' bikes can fly, fly, but they have them malfunctioning conveniently, so we never see that happening. <laughs> uh, some of the special effects are good. Like there's the cyborg later on in the film. I was like, you know, that actually looks those are like decent prosthetics, you know, and they actually have some varied sets. Like there's like this the wasteland that they have which is the same one in like 2012 which they don't show in 2012 yeah you know some of that some of that desert work was fine and there was actually some decent shots i actually thought this movie like the first five minutes started off okay until sylvester Stallone comes in then the movie turns into huge shit his performance in this is bad and there's This is what's okay. Here's what's bad about it. Okay, his intro sets the tone, and it's funny how you compare the intro of Dread Twenty Twelve to this. The intro to this movie, for some reason, let's focus on Rob Schneider. Okay, <laughs> so he's this guy coming back from the penal colony. For some reason, they foregone the ISO cubes. Yeah, and they just have penal colonies instead. Like, okay, whatever. Um, so Rob Schneider's flying back to the city and that's how we get our view of the city and then he meets these gang members that i think he's affiliated with or something and they just start shooting for no reason into the street because they're evil bad guys <laughs> and uh so then these two judges show up and it's hershey and a rookie and they're like let's hold it down and then judge dreads shows up and it's supposed to be like a cool moment like this is the robocop moment when he comes up and he shoots the rapist in the dick and he says your move creep <laughs> and stallone comes up and his costume looks bad <laughs> and and he says some shit he says something like i am the law yeah and it's so unprovoked and forced yeah. that you wonder are you really though <laughs> um this is also the point in Stallone's career where, like, he was starting to look more... And, like, you know, maybe this is over the line. 
but he's starting to look more wax sculpture than human like he's all <laughs> botoxed up his eyes like they just pop out of his way head in this uncanny way you'll notice in this film he's standing like an action figure with like his arms curled to the side and like his chest puff out it's ridiculous he delivers his lines terribly. I mean, Rob Schneider even later on in the movie mocks him when he says in like this Stallone voice, "I'm the law," <laughs> but like, why? Why Stallone in this role? Like anybody else? Why Stallone? It just doesn't work. He has no gravitas. He can't deliver his lines well. They try this kind of sympathetic approach to Dread, of course, because yeah, this is like a che- cheesy mid-90s action movie. Of course, he kisses the girl in yeah, the end. Of course, of there's course. a love interest. Of course, his helmet is off all the goddamn time. Yeah. Um, and he just not, as a character, not engaging whatsoever. I was never at one point thinking, man, I really want to know what makes this kind of quasi-robotic man tick. Uh, you know... Dread 2012, you had a man who was so devoted and, you know, so black and white in his ideology that it was almost scary. And this one, you just have, it's just comical, you know, like, you don't care, really, about what's going on in Dread's head, because it doesn't really matter, because everything in this looks like a cheap cartoon. Dread is also wearing really crappy blue eye contacts. Throughout the oh whole God, movie, they look him and his brother Rico. I I don't know if that's literally just so we as an audience can go. Oh, they must be twin. They must be uh, twins because they have the same eyes. They don't look the same at all. Um, one thing that's really stupid. I'm not even gonna go into detail about it. There's <laughs> this plot, like Rico's framing him because they found uh, Dred's DNA on stuff. Um, how the fuck do they have the same DNA if they look different? Can someone explain that to me, please? That's a huge plot hole because later on they, okay, like spoilers, they establish, so there's this chief judge. No, let me think. So Max von Sydow's in this movie, another uh, new Star Wars trilogy alum. And he's Chief Justice Fargo. He's like, he's kind of- he plays the old guy in like the first five minutes of Force Awakens before he gets shot up. Oh, okay. Uh, and of course, he's in like actually good movies like, you know, The Seventh Seal and Exorcist. And he's in Flash Gordon too. I forgot who he was though. Damn. But anyway, okay. he he's like, he's like Judge's dad. You find out later on that there was like this program made. Oh, that's who you're talking about. Sorry. Okay, continue. Yeah. There's this program called the Janus program where they were like let's make let's take the dna of the council members and we'll make super judges and there's only two made and it's dread and his brother and they don't look the same and for some reason dread is like immediately calls him his brother which is like not really but okay and yeah they have the same dna despite being different people which is just such a huge oversight from a plot perspective that it's hard to believe that that went through like at that point why not just have sylvester stallone play the villain as well yeah you know the other thing is that armin assant plays rico dread his performance is also shit um in very much in a very similar way to stallone's um he's a lot more manic <laughs> his dialogue is terrible and all the dialogue in this film is terrible it's just an awful script um he just he reminds me of nicholas that... cage in face off 
<laughs> don't even go there okay that's that is way better than this and that's way more entertaining than this, okay Dr- like rico is bad in this um this is also it's also weird that like the confrontation between rico and dread takes place lately in the film and like it takes a long time for this film to actually get going yeah and it's only an hour and a half and we should note that both of these movies are an hour and a half mm-hmm. i think they're both like an hour and 35 minutes okay so it's incredible what you can do in 90 minutes with one movie versus the other uh i guess we'll talk about the rest of the cast there's a bunch of other like judges and like council members they're not really too notable uh the big other player here is rob schneider i guess they decided they needed a comic relief character um for some reason i think they had also decided that rob schneider was somebody worth calling uh basically rob schneider's here to make inappropriate jokes and tag along with dread um he's terrible um he adds nothing to the film and i really despised his on-screen presence every second um there's a point in the film when you know judge is on the lamb and he comes back to the city to save it and he start he knocks out this judge and he starts undressing him oh. and and rob shatter says um what are you doing we don't have time for that <laughs> and then he goes oh we don't have time for that um and one of the classiest most hilarious rape jokes i've seen in my whole life hilarious thank you thank you rob shiner for that and five minutes later you know he's making a joke about pissing on the judge dread bike hilarious um this is the thing with this movie is that it just it's just so far removed from the comics it's just like an absolute corruption of the source material um, they basically take the basic premise of a guy named Judge Dredd who lives in Mega City 1 and he follows the law. And that's really all that there is. There's no social commentary really at all in this movie. There's one bit that um, I like. What bit do you like? Um, there's one of the judges and they're at the council meeting and he's like, okay, we need to expedite stuff. We need to have the death penalty for like less serious crimes. Uh, all the isocube stuff or all the penal colony stuff is slowing it down i like that because that would 100 percent happen mm-hmm. um but that's it that's all i really liked um there was just so nothing in this movie is subtle um there's so many subplots a lot of stuff doesn't make sense like there's this one scene where they have a photograph of a baby baby dread and then they put it in the mainframe and they're like oh my god these pixels aren't real and they remove the parents <laughs> next to baby dread and then like oh my god the whole picture isn't real and it's just baby dread in a sci-fi chamber and i'm like oh my god that's not even how pictures work at all <laughs> yeah like you can't you can't put a baby in a picture or something and then like take away pixels and then like the way photo shop works is that you don't just put the photo on top of the photo and then that's like on the photo in real life <laughs> you know like you can't just erase the top layer there's so much logistical shit like that that's stupid and also for some reason they have this random tag along cadet who can use computers as like a, a semi-principal cast member why i don't know <laughs> um what else is good about this movie um 
that's really it. I, the thing with this movie is that, like, okay, was it the was it bad? Yeah, I didn't like hate it. Hate it. Like, I, it was, I hated like, it. It was semi watchable, and I don't know. Really, like, there's nothing to see here, folks. Like, move on. Like, Just move on. Don't. It's not worth your time. I'm being serious. If you're a fan of dreads, like don't even watch as a curiosity. You'll just come away frustrated and disappointed. Um, I mean, some of the action, I guess, is like okay. There's a lot of shooting, which if you like shooting, is cool. Uh, there's some nice squibs sometimes, but you do notice that they kind of refrain from showing too much of like explicit blood. Yep. And, and Luke knows why. Apparently, Stallone was. Uh, partly responsible for the ship fest besides his performance um yeah they wanted to be pg-13 and you get that there's so many off-screen kills which as soon as you see them you know why they're there because the director's a bit of a baby um one thing that also pissed me off is a score in this movie is overly triumphant for oh my god things that either don't deserve to be triumphant or they haven't earned that music like mm-hmm. when dread steps down there's like this huge swelling orchestral piece and i'm like oh my god and when he's killing people it's like hero music and i'm like holy <laughs> shit take a step back and look at what you're doing here and it's a shame because it's it's done by Alan Silvestri. He's done good work. He does Back to the Future. He did like Forrest Gump. He did Super Mario Bros. Coincidentally, and he does some of the newer Marvel movies. And like some of those scores, like I mean, like I like the Captain America First Avenger score. I think there's some good cuts from that. Uh, but yeah, the score just doesn't work. It's it's just it just feels so wrong to have this kind of character in this kind of mold, which is just like this like mid 90s sci-fi action generic movie mold it just it just falls so flat like i don't see who this would appeal to really like it's not gonna appeal to action fans not gonna appeal to judge dread fans not gonna appeal to sci-fi fans it's just a bad movie really and you know even though it's not like explicitly in my opinion completely deplorable like there's times in the movie where I was like, okay, you know, this is this is watchable. Um, besides like that one chord scene, which is pretty bad, like really really bad acting wise and dialogue wise. That's just like really where they turn up the cheese from cheddar to gouda, and everybody's overacting. Even Diane Lane phones it in. I didn't mention her. She's okay in this. I mean, Diane Lane is a good actress. She's not giving anything to work with, of course, but I mean, you know, of all the characters in this film, she feels the most real. Um, so I'll give her that. Another thing that just doesn't make sense is they knew that Rico escaped, so he wasn't a suspect at all. That also, like, he escapes immediately, and, and then, then these everybody. Start dying. And they don't, and and okay, and the justification is that this whole program is classified. So Rico's existence is unknown to everybody except, I guess, the council members. Yeah. But they don't even bother to look into that. It's not even mentioned, like, until late, late in the film. Uh, oof, uh, this is the, uh, this is the tough one, folks. This is the tough one. Do, I have do you to want say. to hear another one? 
Just here. Rico goes to this antique shop to find a robot, and he's like, oh yeah, the only way we can sell them is if we make them unusable, and then he just turns it on and it's usable. Like, when they do shit like that now, today, like, a gun has to be stripped. It can't be usable. Like, it literally can just be the husk. And then this killer robot, this Warhammer machine, he just, oh, flipped it on. Oh, it's working. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not how it works. Yeah. (laughs) He just, I think what he does is he, like, rearranges two wires. He just hot wires the robot and it works. (laughs) Um, by the way, the robot is also like, it's like a separate, it's a character from a separate 2000 AD comics. It's supposed to be an homage, but just having this robot as like his henchman is like kind of stupid. He just serves as the muscles throughout the film. Why have the robot? Why not just do this stuff yourself? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense. Uh, there's also a character that they introduced late in the film, uh, named, uh, what was her name? God, uh, it was like the doctor, Doctor Hayden, and she's like kind of like a love interest to Rico. She they introduced her so oh, late. Yeah. She um, I think they introduced her just so she can have a fight with Doctor Hershey. Yep, literally uh, so just so the two have... women can fight and call each other bitch. I, my favorite part of any movie is when you have the two women fight, and not only do they fight, but you have to make sure one of the women is scantily clad. You know, she's showing a little cleavage at the very least. Mm-hmm. And then they call each other bitches because that's all women do is that they say bitch, bitch, bitch to each other because women hate each other or something. Yeah. Uh, so that was a great, th- that was a great scene and a standout. And I loved it. Uh, her character is stupid and it was a waste of time. Like most of them in this movie. Uh, um, the first time I watched this movie about halfway through, I just started playing melee. Uh, and I just listened to it. I had to come back and finish the other half. It's it's uh, it's a rough ride. Uh, ending wise, basically, Rico is like, "Hey, um, I'm gonna make an army of judges, and they're all gonna have my DNA." Um, you know, like could you go more generic? Like, just have I'm gonna make an army of me, and we're gonna take over the world. Okay, man, you got a lot of nuance to your plan there. So they so judging him have a fight in the Statue of Liberty. It's supposed to be cool because it's like whoa they put the Statue of Liberty in the middle of the city. It's not that cool. Uh, Rico gets killed because he throws him over, and then um, the movie ends weirdly abruptly. Like yeah. they defeat him, and then they walk down the steps of the building, and they're like Judge Dread, Judge Dread. Okay, this is uh, this is so funny. Okay. They're like, Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd. As soon as he exits the building, there's like a big crowd. They're like, hey, Judge, you know what? We found out that it was a fake. Like, you were wrongly convicted. Not only that, because the council's all dead, we want you to be the council member. Do you want to be Chief Justice and King of the World? <laughs> and he's like, and what do you think he says, ladies and gentlemen? Okay. He says, no. He says, I'm a street judge. And he gets on his bike. And then Diane Lane gives him a kiss because... um because and then he rides away and you get a shot in mega city and that's actually an okay shot you know you show him and it shows the city and then it fades to black and the movie ends um that's about it uh and uh that's about yeah <laughs> that's all i have to say about that movie yeah she kisses judge dread and they can't even have that rob schneider's like i gotta kiss better <laughs> 
And then he's like, guys, hurry up, take me away. <laughs> I, what was it? The Rob Schneider, you know, like, you know what? At least in Fifth Element, when they had Chris Tucker as the tagline <laughs> comedic, uh, you know, uh, comic relief, he, he was at least a character. This guy is just Rob Schneider. Yeah. He's just Rob Schneider. And I was thinking every time he cracked a joke, like, why are you just taking bits from your stand-up? <laughs> he's no makeup no nothing he's just rob schneider in basically rob schneider's street clothes acting like rob schneider and (laughs) you know like bill burr and mandalorian whatever you know i mean kind of jarring but i mean at least he's like kind of trying yeah and this like oh my god his one just character moment and i love when the comic relief character has that one moment he he's a hacker and they give you that tidbit early on, and of course that that doesn't come into play until the, the very end when he when he hacks the robot and the robot helps them and he defeats the robot and he saves the day. And then oh yeah, when uh, Judge is leaving, he's like, huh, of course I didn't get any credit. Ha ha ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There it is. Yeah, I love I love hacker scenes in movies. I love hacker scenes in movies where they just go beep boop done. Um, I love Rob Schneider, especially in Grown Ups. Uh, this okay, you know maybe this movie is this movie is really bad. I, mean, <laughs> I think I thought it was wor- going to be worse than it was, which is to say more unwatchable, which is to say like more actively painful. Mm-hmm. But in I'm definitely never going to watch this movie again, and I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, and that's that's about it. Let me check my notes to see if there's anything else to say about it. Oh man, you know what's funny? This like repeating joke Sylvester Stallone did, where he would say, "How do you plead?" and they're like, "Not guilty." And he's like, "I knew you'd say that." <laughs> yeah, and then of course they there's some payoff towards the end that I already forgot about, where Diane Lane says something. Isn't it great to be human? Or something. I knew you're gonna say that. Yeah. Like, and so, yeah, and, like, you know, they kind of try to go for that Robocop angle, like, more explicitly, where it's like, hey, you're not really human, but, like, you know, you gotta, and, you know, like, Judge Hershey's like, you know, tell me about yourself, Dredd, you know, what are your friends, what are your hopes and fears? She's constantly prying throughout the movie, you know, give me something, prove to me that you're a person. And by the end of the film, uh, frankly, I'm not convinced. Nope. So there, it's... it's <laughs> So, um, the, the kiss is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's obligatory romance. And I mean, it's, that's such a thing in so many movies reviewed. Like I'm, I'm almost tired of pointing it out. Like it's going to happen and it's still going to happen. It still happens all the time. Have a romance plot because I I guess that gets people in, in the seat or I guess that engages a certain portion of the audience, but, uh, it's, it's horribly unconvincing. Um, it it's yeah. it doesn't it doesn't add anything. It's just a subplot, and like it just I don't want to compare yeah. it to RoboCop because they are different movies. But in RoboCop, we get like maybe one that kind of one scene where we see his home life, but the, throughout the whole movie, he's not like I need to find my wife, and we need to rekindle our relationship. They do that in the 2014 RoboCop. I knew it. Remake. I was just about to say. I bet they do that in the remake because they just can't help themselves. Holy they, shit! It goes back to the house and and his son is like, "Daddy, why are you a robot man?" Oh, and like, oh my god, my humanity is gone. Yeah, yeah. 
We, uh, we you know, if we ever do RoboCop, maybe we'll do 2014 RoboCop too. Yeah, we would do a double feature probably. <laughs> but that that movie's pretty bad. I saw that in high school with Wahazi. It was we were we were um, this is this is the story. We were doing when we were in computer science class. We were just shit posting the whole time. Mm-hmm. So the teacher was like, "Okay, hey, you guys got to finish your project by tomorrow, so you guys can stay after class and not, you know, here if you want to, and finish your project." So I was like, "Okay, let me finish this and go home." Well, Hazi was like, "You know, let's watch RoboCop and eat pizza." <laughs> so I mean, we did do that, but then we did finish the project. But we were there till ten o'clock, so that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, hopefully, I hope you guys enjoyed that more than, uh, Judge Red 1995, because this movie's really bad. Do you want to go to bags? Yeah, fuck it. I don't, yeah, I'm good. I'm done talking about that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this it's, it's just not, and I did, oh yeah, I didn't mention it, I think, I think you did. The Judge costumes are really bad. They're, they're wearing, like, spandex, and then they just have, like, the big hefty armor the helmet looks cheap and it looks like shit it doesn't even fit on stallone's head the gold looks, he cheap. looks it looks cheap uh it just doesn't look good at all uh yeah they have the gun the same kind of gun and i think that looks fine and it has the same functionality but uh the gun the the costume and the motorcycle they look bad the whole all the guns in the movie look bad they have these huge 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 ginormous yeah. goofy guns that works in men in black because the premise of that movie is goofy judge dread is not a comedy guys yeah they have <laughs> you do notice that like all the gangsters in this movie have basically regular 1995 guns but then like with just a ton of shit added on top to make it super gun yeah. and then like every time they fire a gun it's got like the high pitch like to show it's a future gun but you're not fooling everybody you're not fooling anybody and they're just so, yeah. shooting sparks out of their guns it's just crap like yeah ben and black can do it because it's a goofy movie like star wars doesn't even really do it like they have guns that like still look realistic like guns that big nobody would be carrying around all day it's just not feasible and if they were that powerful the knockback would break your elbow probably or not your elbow your shoulder <laughs> yeah it's they're just comically large um it, you know what it's it's it all plays into that kind of older aesthetic like this weird kind of aesthetic where it's like it's kind of kitsch and yeah. everything is excessive but like it doesn't, it just feels like I I really am growing to hate that look. And when we reviewed Super Mario Brothers, I praised that movie for its look, and I think that it definitely does it better than this. But I'm really I really hate that kind of style now. Yeah, it's just, it is just it's not no class. It's not no creative. Cl- no class. No nuance. Nothing. Yeah. It's just cheap design. Yeah. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. So, do you want to give bags for both now? Yep. Okay, let's. Uh, you go. You go first. You go first. For dread. Uh, for dread. Sorry, twenty twelve. Yeah. Easy nine. Easy nine. Easy. It's it's really good. Um, it's not just the digital squibs. I wish that there was better better graphics in my cutscenes. <laughs> um, I wish that there was a bit more of that look at the corruption like 
a, mm-hmm. a bit more satire. Like to me, Robocop mm-hmm. has like that perfect amount of satire. This just needs a little, little bit more. Come on. Um, but other than that, great, great movie. High class. Uh, this one um, that we were <laughs> talking about, I'm giving it one fucking bag. I don't want to watch this movie Ooh. again. I don't want to see Sylvester Stallone in cheap blue contacts um, having an unconvincing romance. I don't want to see his twin brother that looks different, that has the same DNA. I'm done with it. Uh, yeah, one bag. Screw it. Okay. Uh, for me, Dread, um, I'm going to give it four out of five. I really like this movie. This is a high, high four out of five. It just falls shy of that like five-star mark just because there's some nicks here and there. Mm-hmm. I almost wish like this movie was like it's a really well paced movie which we didn't mention. Yeah. It's an it's ninety minutes and that's already brief for an action film, but it never really feels slow. It could have gone for longer. Could have had a little bit more uh, world establishment stuff like that. But high high four bags. I really love this movie. Uh, Judge Red. I'm gonna give a one out of five. Piece of shit. There you go. <laughs> yeah they suck like dread oh man it was so good like i was just entertained the entire time watching it and it was an hour and a half but again this is a sign of a good movie um it does a lot with it like i wasn't watching it and i was like man that that was short like they took that time and they filled it up and they didn't fill it with convoluted stuff like a million subplots that make the movie feel short it was just like Oh jeez, like ten minutes of intro and then just movie. <laughs> then just movie. And it is all movie and a damn good one at that. Like the trial for Judge Dredd, like the big thing in this in the nineteen ninety five one happens like a third of the way in. Like the movie hasn't even started yet. <laughs> yeah, it it's weird that it takes so long to get into it. I, it's just like a really poorly constructed script overall. Um, because like 50 minutes into a 90 minute movie we have judge on the transport to the penal colony what (laughs) what is going on this should already be kicking judge should already be aware of the threat we should already be having some sort of conflict it's uh it's just shoddy filmmaking period um the one bit of trivia that i was going to tell you is my boss's husband's auntie was the continuity director of 1995 judge dread and you just had a shit talk it on air like that yeah oh man i mean r.i.p for your job bro that's all i gotta say (laughs) uh no but that is cool actually uh you said your boss's husband's aunt yeah okay yeah that's pretty cool a continuity director as in like she went like over the eight. script and made sure it all was airtight. Okay, well, she could have done a better job, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, it is what it is. Seriously, did they say in the movie why they have blue blue eye contact lenses in? No, no that's just because... I don't know why they had that, So, they the could be so brothers? Distracting. So, you be brothers, I guess. Um, <laughs> co- like, fake contact lenses, when does that ever really work? eyes Um, are so heavily detailed like to put it in a two because they're three-dimensional to put that effect on a two-dimensional little contact lens not gonna happen yeah um (laughs) it's just oh god and it's just for like this one little plot point like it's it's just not worth it just move on (laughs) 
Please, please. Uh, so next week we are doing uh, Jack Frost. Did you have a movie you want to do after that? Do you want to do Mad Max after that? Yeah, sure. I think that'll be a good one. I mean, I, I think it'll be a good movie. Uh, I'll preface by saying I've only seen Fury Road, which I thought Same. was a great movie. Um, but uh, there are three other Mad Max movies. And uh, hey, we all love Mr. Mel Gibson, don't we? Hey, the Gibster. The Gibster himself. All right. Yeah, that'll be a good one. So Jack Frost, then Mad Max. And remember, guys, not the Keaton Jack Frost, the direct-to-DVD Jack Frost. Is um, is Fury Road, like, canon sequel? It is. Okay. Um, and it is, because George Miller um, did the originals, and I think he did... I think Well, I'm pretty sure he did the originals, and he did this uh, new one. Let me just make sure. I remember seeing uh, the trailer for Mad Max Fury Road so many times when I would go see any movie. Yeah, so George Miller did all the Mad Max movies, and oh. and it is canon. And he's actually uh, directing a prequel, which I don't know. I don't. I mean, I trust George Miller, um, but I don't know how I feel about the fact that he's doing a prequel for Furiosa. So we're not gonna have Charlize Theron in that role. It's gonna be Anya Taylor Joy, who you would people will know as the main. The lead, besides McAvoy and Split, mm. um, most notably, she's really picked up steam because she's the lead character in Queen's Gambit. Um, I don't, I don't. It could be good. I'm hoping it's good, but it's uh, that's in development right now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that's that. Uh, do you want to watch some Star Trek later? Yeah. Well, uh, what time are you thinking? I'm going to watch Star Wars 77 once we're done the show. Uh, okay. So around 11, 12. Yeah, that will work. I'm almost done season three of Clone Wars. I think we have like two episodes left. We've been plowing through it. And how's Clone Wars been? So, really good. Um, One weird thing is the first like half of season three is prequel episodes. Um. So, to you, if you're going to be watching in the future, watch it. Um, there's a watch order that will make more sense because it's really jarring. It's especially jarring if you consider that like when it was on TV mm-hmm. and you'd have to wait weeks or a week between episode and then I'm assuming like a year between seasons, like people would have forgotten the... <laughs> The re- like forgotten that these were forgotten the information that would have made them think that these are prequel episodes it like is so weird so wait so when weird. you say when you say prequel episodes what do you mean they're like they would be episodes that would fit into season one. Oh, and that's in the start of season three yeah oh i see i'm like uh, so kind of like a reshuffle kind of thing yeah and i looked maybe? it up and i think it was just because or the the reason I read was they needed more time with the new models because they were making a new Anakin, Obi Wan model, and new clone trooper models and stuff like that. Oh, so are the models like drastically updated from season one to the other ones? Oh yeah, like you can see because 
more traction, more views, more money. You can see every season, okay, this looks a bit better. This looks a bit better. Um, I've seen clips of like season seven before on YouTube and like it, they, they look amazing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's good to see. I, I, I have seen a couple of Clone Wars and of course he famously do not like the season one models. The animations are rough, but you know what? That's the kind of thing you'd like to see is that as it gains popularity, the the network starts sliding a few more bucks their way. I mean, you think with like a, you think you would think that given that George Lucas like kind of sanctioned the series that you would have started off like big bucks, but whatever. You know, you know the Lucasfilm logo. Yes. Well, yeah, like the new one or like the old one, which I guess was just like blue text. No, no, no. Like the their little icon, like they have the words, but or the Lucas uh, Arts logo, whatever. Oh it's yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that is T eight from THX? Let me see. Uh, let me take a look at this. At the end, when he's like in the sun. Oh my god! It might be. Is there? I want to see if that's if that's like confirmed. That does look like it. Uh, because I mean, what else? I mean, it could just be like a generic sprite, but that that definitely looks like it. I thought of that he, when I booted up. Uh... Lego Star Wars. Let's see what it says for the logo. The logo consists of uh, logo consists of a crude gold figured in inspired by a similar petroglyph. Uh, figure has hands up in the air as if a sun were rising from behind him. It doesn't really give a definitive answer here, but I would say so. Interesting, especially because it's Lucas. I mean. It's definitely not from Star Wars. Yeah. And it's not from American Graffiti, that's for <laughs> sure. So, yeah, maybe, I would think so. Honestly, that makes me like it more. That's a good movie. That was a good movie. And tasteful. Tasteful film. Very tasteful. I'm going to call it there. Hey. You, uh... Well, yes. What? I say go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I... I... <laughs> I was I was just gonna give a recap of the next two movies. Go for it. Doing. So yeah, just next week, uh, Jack Frost, and then week after that, Mad Max. Have a good day. <laughs> Have bye a good YouTube. Day. See you later. Bye YouTube. Bye Spotify. See you later. And Apple Music and other platforms. Okay, bye.